Hello and welcome to Unusual Histories. I'm Danny Hurst and in the weeks and months and years to come we are going to be exploring history that you don't learn at school or indeed anywhere else for that matter, not even on Horrible Histories. Now the first season is the Monopoly series and over this and the next 26 episodes I am going to be travelling around the London Monopoly board comparing property values between now and 1936 when the game first came out in Britain as well as looking at the history of the iconic sites that make up the board itself. However, it would be remiss of me not to delve into the history of the actual game of Monopoly itself and this begins a long way from London in the US state of Maryland. Wait a moment, isn't it common knowledge that Charles Darrow invented Monopoly in Philadelphia in uh, 1931 or something? Well, yeah, but it's wrong. Now, during the late 1800s, an advertisement appeared in the American newspapers by a young lady from Maryland who was auctioning herself off as, quote, a young American woman slave looking for a husband to own her, unquote. Right on. This lady was Elizabeth McGee, or Lizzie to her friends. Now, Lizzie was no ordinary woman. Her father was a newspaper proprietor. Proprietor? I can never pronounce that word. And he, in the 1850s, he'd accompanied Abraham Lincoln on tour through Illinois, which is a pretty impressive historical claim to fame. Now, when Lizzie was a young stenographer and typist, she patented an invention that enabled paper to go through typewriter rollers more easily. That for a woman at the time to own a patent was uh, virtually unheard of. And she'd also been a performer and writer as well. Now, despite her advert... Lizzie McGee was actually an early feminist and the whole point behind her advert was to highlight the position of women and black people in the US at the time and to illustrate the fact that it was only white men who were truly free. Now, as a result, she became known across the US as an outspoken feminist celebrity. But at the same time, Americans are famous for not getting irony. So chances are she probably got a whole load of weird and creepy letters from horrible blokes taking her advert at face value. Now, she was also a Georgist. Now, what the hell is a Georgist? Now, Georgism was, I don't know if it still exists or not, but it was an economic ideology, uh, which... uh, is based on the teachings of social reformer and economist Henry George, who lived in the mid-1800s. Now, Georgism involves the government abolishing all taxes and creating a single tax on land based on its size, location and usefulness. And after the Treasury took its share, the idea was to redistribute it amongst the taxpayers, amongst the uh, public in general. If she'd lived Later in the 20th century, she would have been hauled up before the McCarthy hearings before you could say the word communist. Now, in 1903, she had the big idea of demonstrating how rents enriched landlords and impoverished tenants. And what better way to do so was to invent a board game that does exactly that. And what was this game called? Wrong. It was called the Landlord's Game. 
Now, Lizzie McGee was an anti-monopolist, ironically, and her game was designed to illustrate the evils of exploiting people and making money at other people's expense. However, like all good satire, it went over most people's heads and people took it at face value. The game caught on. It even came across the Atlantic to the UK, where for no good reason it was released as... uh, Brer Fox and Brer Rabbit, despite having absolutely nothing at all to do with the less-than-PC Uncle Remus stories. But the game actually developed a cult following on both sides of the Atlantic, but it wasn't like a board game as we know today with the, um, with the, um, uh, multi, what's the word, uh, uh, mass-produced versions. It was all handmade and there were loads of copycat versions of it. She did own the patent, but, you know, it couldn't really stop uh, other people copying it. And in 1924, she renewed her patent and upgraded it to feature genuine streets and properties and so kicks in the first stage of the evolutionary process. Now, McGee had submitted her game in 1903 and in 1924 when she uh, got the new patent to Parker Brothers, who was the leading board game manufacturers at the time. And she was rejected on both occasions in the belief that it was too complicated for the masses. She spent the next 10 years or so trying to promote her game and she was staying in Arden, Delaware. And... A professor, a business professor from Arden University, took the game to his students at uh, at uh, Delaware and also to his other job at the Wharton School of Business in Philadelphia. One of his students took it home. It went back and forth through various states and uh, copied and played by different people. And then one day, a teacher from Indianapolis took the game to her new job in Atlantic City, New Jersey. As I say, at this point, the game was still pretty rudimentary and handmade and uh, the teacher and her friends thought it'd be fun to localise the game, adding streets and properties from Atlantic City, New Jersey, as well as the local charity fund, which was known as the Community Chest. Now, in 1932... Two of her friends introduced the game to their friend Esther Darrow and her husband Charles, who has gone down in history, as I mentioned before, as being the inventor of the game. Now, Charles Darrow was an unemployed domestic heater salesman. It was the era of the Great Depression, remember, and most people couldn't afford domestic heating, which probably made them even more depressed. But uh, Darrow didn't actually invent Monopoly. What he did was reinvent it and improved it. And his version contains many of the features that we know today. The classic artwork, uh, the Mr. Monopoly in the top hat, who's supposed to be based uh, on J.P. Morgan. And the guy behind bars, who is a caricature of of Charles Darrow himself. Uh, He did the trade logos for the stations and like I say a lot of the uh, the uh, artwork that we know today that is synonymous with Monopoly 
Now, Darrow also was rejected from Parker Brothers, so he went to Milton Bradley Games and was rejected from there too. But what he did manage to do was to persuade a Philadelphia department store to stock the game. Now, it was, as I said, the year of the Great Depression, so the idea of escaping from poverty for, uh, poverty for a short time and becoming a capitalist real estate tycoon appealed to loads of people. And so the game caught on and it became the opposite of what Elizabeth McGee had intended and it became a celebration of capitalism. Wouldn't it be amazing if all this money was real? <laughs> that is the single most predictable and boring thing that anybody could ever say whilst playing Monopoly. Parker Brothers realised they were missing out and then and so they approached Darrow, who arranged instead of selling the game to them, he arranged a royalty fee uh royalty deal, which his descendants still get to this day. Now, Darrow's original game didn't include counters, and his instructions enclosed within the game were for people to use household objects like thimbles, pennies, other tokens. Charles Darrow's nieces used to wear charm bracelets, and some of the charms from these, most famously the boot, found their way into the game. Now, the game caught on and eventually came back across the Atlantic. The son of the managing director of John Waddington's Limited, which was a toys and games manufacturers based in Leeds. Now, the son of the managing director uh, had played this game and he convinced his dad, Victor Watson, to produce a version of the game uh, himself. Now, Watson brought his secretary, Marjorie, Phillips to London on a day trip to search for suitable locations which as excuses go is up there with the best of them uh, for 1935 actually that's quite a brave thing to do make of it what you will but they did find well some of the locations were already well known some of them were extremely obscure although because of the success of the game they're not as obscure as they used to be in 1936 the London version was released uh, the, there wasn't any particular motive to uh, how or why the properties were chosen, but there are themes. The Brown Squares, which is the Old Kent Road and Whitechapel Road, they were the slums of the time. The light blue ones, part of the inner London Ring Road. The pink squares all converge in Trafalgar Square. The orange squares are all connected with law and order. The red squares are all adjacent to each other. The yellow squares have a nightlife entertainment theme. The green squares are all to do re with retail, and the dark blue ones are just extremely expensive. And the London version caught on, and the following, the same year, in fact, saw the release of the Paris and Berlin versions of the game. However, the Berlin one was subsequently banned by the Nazi government, who saw it as a Jewish speculative idea, despite the fact that neither Darrow nor McGee were Jewish. Parker Brothers discovered that Darrow had actually adapted the game and realised that uh, he wasn't the holder of the original patent. So what they did was buy McGee's patent for the Landlord game for $500, which is approximately $12,000 today, £9,450. She got no royalties from the game because the focus was on Darrow's version of Monopoly. And Lizzie McGee died in 1940. 48, having made next to nothing from a game and her contribution to popular culture disappearing from history. 
at least until 1974, when a San Francisco University professor, Ralph Anspach, created a game called Anti-Monopoly as a response to the mainstream game. Anspach's idea was much more in tune with that of Lizzie McGee's, believing that monopolies actually harm free enterprise. The idea the San Francisco University professor in the early 70s, you couldn't make that up, could you? Anyway, Anspach was subsequently taken to court by Parker at Brothers and the resulting case revealed McGee's previously unknown role in the creation and pioneering of the game. Now, Anspach's version of the game is not as popular as the original, but it is still available to buy online. I've never played it, so I can't tell you if it's any good. I've never actually seen it in the shops either, but indeed, as I say, it is available online. Now, eventually, in 1991, Parker Brothers was bought out by Hasbro, along with the rights to Monopoly. And then the floodgates really opened, and Star Wars Monopoly, Football Stars Monopoly, Game of Thrones Monopoly, they've all graced the shelves of Toys R Us and Smiths, as well as international versions, deluxe editions, digital forms, any kind of Monopoly you can imagine. Me being an English gentleman, I grew up on the London edition of Monopoly and presumed it was the original version for years. Uh, when I was growing up, it was a tr Christmas tradition fighting with my sister over who was going to be the racing car and not being able to pronounce Marylebone because we were Northerners and not Londoners and it wasn't a word that was used in Manchester very often in those days. I remember actually asking my mum why there wasn't a Manchester version. Nowadays there is. Why Monopoly? Firstly, it's become so much a part of international culture that even people who've never played it know what it's about and recognise the uh, artwork and references to it. And as I say, I grew up in the north of England, so it was pretty much my knowledge of London that wasn't Big Ben's bongs on the news or Thames TV's iconic locations logo with a reflection in the river. Not only does each square and area have its own fascinating history, but all also, it's fascinating to see how much the areas and values with them have changed between 1935 and today. You have been listening to Unusual Histories, the Monopoly series with me, Danny Hurst. Next episode, we are going to pass go and with any luck, collect £200, which should be very nice, particularly as, according to the Bank of England's inflation calculator, from £200 in 1936, when the London version of Monopoly came onto the market, had the spending power that today is £11,678.2. Next episode, we are going to explore the first square on the board, the first of the brown squares, the joint cheapest, and also by far the oldest area on the board, the Old Kent Road. Thank you so much for listening, and may your God bless you. Music